0: morning it is good to be here this morning to worship our God together I'm very grateful for, for everyone who's here this morning very grateful for our visitors who have, who have chosen to join us this morning it's always it's always good to be able to to meet meet new people who are, who are seeking to serve and worship God so this morning this morning I'm going to uh, we're going to be Reading, uh, studying from Matthew chapter six. If you want to go ahead and turn your, turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter six. We will be picking up in the, the Sermon on the Mount series that I've I've been going through. I've, I think it's been every other time that I've been up here. Um, we're in Matthew chapter six, and uh, in just a few moments we'll begin reading in verse sixteen. And we're going to we're going to cover the rest of this chapter today this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and we've talked so far, started in Matthew 5, the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the Beatitudes, which are the characteristics of those who would be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Then Christ talked about how those who would be citizens in God's kingdom are people who are going to be the salt of the earth. They're going to, to seek to, to preserve life and to help save people from the death in this world. They're going to be lights to the world. They're going to point, point the way to God by reflecting no. His glory. No. <clears throat> no. We talked about how Christ came to be the fulfillment of the law no. and the prophets. Not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, to, to be, to be what, what man was always supposed to be, but what man could what what humans what the rest of us could never have done under the law Christ did that He came to do that and then He talks about uh, some of the ways that the people who are citizens in God's kingdom will interact with each other and that that's what the this idea of the kingdom the king God's kingdom of righteousness that's what this entire sermon is about from Matthew's chapter five six and seven and in verse twenty that's kind of, verse twenty is in, in a lot of ways the The thesis statement for this sermon, Matthew chapter five, verse verse twenty, where Christ says, "For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." So he's talking about this idea of righteousness, which we've said that righteousness is God's right order. It's the way that God says things should be. The way the, the way that things should be rightly ordered in my life. And the way that things should be rightly ordered in this world that God created. That is God's righteousness. And that is what kingdom citizens are seeking. Kingdom citizens are seeking God's righteousness, his right order in their lives and his right order in in the world around them. And so we're in chapter Matthew chapter six this morning. Matthew chapter six, and we're going to start reading now in verse 16. Um, And we're going to read this uh, kind of section by section as we go through the rest of this chapter. Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. Christ says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be neglect- noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in the and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, <clears throat> Christ is doing here what he's what he's doing for pretty much this entire, this entire sermon. He is contrasting what the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, what they would consider righteousness. <clears throat> he's contrasting that with the true righteousness of the kingdom. So, the scribes and, and the Pharisees, whenever they would fast, they, they, would, they would do something. They would do something to their faces, to their appearance, so that everyone who saw them knew that they were fasting. They would, I read that you know, they might put ash on their faces, and their hair would be disheveled and unkempt. And, and, because, and then people would see them out and go, Oh, he's fasting today. I can tell because of what he looks like. And they were doing that for their own glory. So that people would see them and think, Oh, they're, they're such a righteous person because they're fasting today. They're doing it for their own glory. And here Christ is, is going to address that issue. He's, go, he's, going to, to, he's going to talk about what true righteous fasting looks like. It's not not the picture of the Pharisees in that day. But he he uses some, some interesting language uh, when, when he does this. And we have we've, we've discussed we discussed this in the, our last sermon, last lesson, when we were looking at giving to the poor, praying, that kind of thing. Christ says, when you fast. So he starts in verse 16 and says, whenever you fast, and then again in, in verse 17, but you, when you fast, do it like this. So, what, 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 does, what does that imply when Christ says, when you fast? Talking to people who would be kingdom citizens, and he says, when you fast, fast like this. It's implying that kingdom citizens are going to fast. But that's what they do. People who would be citizens in God's kingdom... Are people who will fast throughout their lives. Fasting is not some ancient ritual. It's not something that was relegated to the Old Testament. It's not something that people just did in Christ's time. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that Kingdom citizens across the ages are expected to, are expected to participate in. Now, fasting. I won't speak for everyone here, but for me, fasting is pretty much a foreign concept to me. It, it's not really something that that I've that I've done much throughout my life. It's, it's not something that the society that we live in participates in for, for certain. We, we go the opposite direction. The society that we live in this this the society of, of affluence and wealth. So fasting is probably probably a foreign concept for for most of us here. <clears throat> so what what is it? If it's a foreign concept, we should probably set up just establish real quick what it is. If we don't really associate with it very much. Fasting is, is very simply the process of intentionally denying yourself something, most often food. It's the process of intentionally denying yourself something for a period of time. Very basically, not getting into scripturally, you know, uh, spiritually, what is just that, that's what fasting is. The act of fasting is denying yourself something that you could have for a period of time. So that's what fasting is. Why should I, as a kingdom citizen, fast? Why are kingdom citizens, why is, it just, why is it just assumed by Christ that kingdom citizens are going to fast? It doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound like it's something that we would necessarily do because it's enjoyable. Well, why should I intentionally deny myself something that is as basic and as essential as food? Why should I do that if I'm going to be a kingdom citizen? <clears throat> I think we see in scriptures that there are, there are two answers to this question. There, there, there are two reasons why I, as a kingdom citizen, might fast. And, and the, the two reasons are, are really... There are two reasons connected to two different types of fasting. And the first type of fasting, which I believe is the one that Christ is talking about here, mainly in Matthew chapter 6, the first type of fasting is what, what I'm going to refer to as a scheduled fast fast that you do, that, that, that is done on a certain day of the week or a certain day of the month. And that, <clears throat> from, from my understanding, that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders would do. And They would fast. Some would would have one day a week that that was their fast day. The really righteous ones, you know, you said sarcastically, the really righteous ones might have two days a week that they would fast. Every single week it was a scheduled fast. So that seems to be what Christ is talking about here. There's the scheduled fast where, where I... I decide, all right, on this day, I'm going to give up something, something good, like food. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to give up something good so that I can sharpen my focus on something that's better. That's what that's the type of fast that Christ is talking about, where I'm going to to plan ahead and purposefully refrain from a good thing that I, that I can have so that I can focus on something that's better. So that I can keep from being distracted by, by even the blessings in this life. I'm going to deny myself some of these blessings for a time. So that I can focus on the kingdom. That, that is, that is the, the type of righteous fasting that Christ is talking about here. I'm, I'm going to, to refrain from a good thing so that I can focus on a better thing. I'm going to, to refrain from even food physical food so that I can focus on God and on his kingdom. This type of scheduled fast is a preemptive fast that's designed to keep me from losing my focus on the kingdom. It's about setting intentional limits in my life. It's about me asking myself, you know, can, can I bring myself to say no to some things? Can I bring myself to say no to, to some legitimate things that I, I have the ability to possess can I bring myself to do that? To deny myself those things so that I can keep from becoming distracted by them. So that I can keep from letting those things distract me from what my true and only purpose is, is to, to seek God and His kingdom. That's what this type of fast is about. The, the, the person who participates in this type of fast is one who does not want to be distracted from the kingdom and from its values. Because, the, this, because they, they know that all of these things, all all, all of the, the things that they might fast from, whether it's food or other things, they know that those things are passing away. And they're passing away quickly. They know that there's only one thing that's going to to, to that is eternal, and that is the kingdom. So I'm going to deny myself some of these, these legitimate things, legitimately good things, so that I can focus on the better thing, the best thing, the kingdom. Okay. And in Christ's day, this was this was done. Uh, main, pretty much, this was done mainly with food. People would deny themselves food for a time, and you, you could judge whether or not their, their act, the reason they were doing it was was correct or not. But they would, food was what people would give up because you think about their culture that the, the Jewish culture was not. A, a culture of affluence and wealth like our culture is. Food was a, a pretty big deal to them. We we I would say we take food for granted because it's everywhere. Fast food restaurants, grocery stores, you know, you can get food pretty much anywhere in, in, in our culture. <clears throat> but food to the Jews, that was food food was I would say it was much more in their consciously in their minds than it was ours. And so to give up food would, would, would have been to, to give up food to focus on the kingdom would have been would have been a, a big deal to them. But I, I would say that for us fasting is certainly can and should be done with food, but I think that, that we can we can fast in other ways as well because of the 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 culture that we live in, the society that we live in. You know if I am if I'm constantly buying things and accumulating possessions and stuff and things, if I'm constantly doing that, or, or even just constantly wanting to do that, then that that can that's a decent indication that I'm focused on mammon. We're going to talk about mammon in just a moment. But that I'm focused on wealth. That I may not be completely focused focused on the kingdom like I should be. <clears throat> and so, if, if those are the things that I'm focused on then then maybe i should deny myself some of those things so even if, even if i have the ability to go get something to go buy something that doesn't mean that i should we're not talking about you know going into debt for things that's that's a, that's another that's another topic but we're not talking about whether or not you have the ability to get something and, and whether or not you should based on that we're assuming i have the ability to get whatever this thing is whatever this this new fancy toy is, gadget, whatever I want. I have the ability to get this, but maybe I'm focused too much on that. Maybe I'm focused too much on getting and accumulating more and more stuff. And so I need to to deny myself some of those things so I can refocus myself on the kingdom and on its values and not be focused on the things in in this world that are passing away. So this type of preemptive fasting helps the kingdom citizen rise above the temptation to become distracted by things in this world, even good things, even things that I may have a, have a right to. It helps us rise above the temptation to become fixated on these things and to lose our focus from the kingdom. So while, while the, this first type of fasting is more preemptive, where I'm going to deny myself this thing so that I don't lose my focus, so that I don't lose my focus on the kingdom. If the if that first type of fasting is more preemptive, then I, I would say the second type of fasting that we see in Scripture is is more reactionary. And the 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 this type of fasting, this, this reactionary type of fasting, we we see it often as a response to someone's sin. Someone sins, they are uh, and, and they they recognize that sin and they're sorry for it. And they repent. They repent of that sin, and they fast because because they are in such sorrow for what they they had done. So fast is a reactionary fast in response to to this sin. And then another another type that we see is a a reactionary fast, perhaps in response to some disaster that has taken place, or maybe some foreign army that has come up against the people of Israel, and they fast and call on God to help them. Both of, these, but both of these situations, whether, whether it's a reactionary fast because of my sin, or just a reactionary fast because of this, this terrible circumstance that, that, I, that I'm in, or that um, whether it's either one of those, both of these types of fasts are, are connected to me recognizing that God is the only one who can help me out of the situation. And in that way, it's very similar, I would say, to the, the preemptive fast that we talked about. Because it, with, with this reactionary fast where I'm focusing on God as the only one who can, who can help me from this situation, the only one who can help me from my sin, the only one who can, who can help me out of this distress, I, my, my focus has been very much sharpened on Him. My focus has been directed to the only one who can do something about the situation that I'm in. And, and, and so just like the, the, the preemptive fast where I'm using it, to preemptively keep my focus on God, I'm now using this fast as a result of my sin or or this distress to focus on God as the only one who can do something about my situation. So whether it's a scheduled, preemptive fast to keep me from becoming distracted from the kingdom, or whether it's a reactionary fast that focuses me I'm the only one who can help me in my time of distress. A a desire for God and for his kingdom are at the heart of why his people will fast. A desire for God and his kingdom are at the heart for why kingdom citizens fast and are expected to fast. Now if we fast because we want to be viewed as holy, because we want to be viewed as pious by men, then we're completely missing the point. We, we, at that point, if that's our reason for doing it, we'd be better off just eating and not having in our stomach not hurting. If, if the reason that we're fasting is to be seen by men or for my own glory. God's people fast so that they might draw closer to Him. God's people fast so that their that focus, their aim, will remain on God, our King, and His kingdom. We don't fast for our own glory. <clears throat> Verse nineteen of Matthew chapter six, and and, and the like I said we're, we're covering the, the rest of this chapter, and there there's going to be some some common there, there's a thread that's going to run from verse sixteen all the way and all the way through the end of this chapter. Where we started talking about the need to focus on God to 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 ignore to purposefully ignore earthly things so that we can. Focus ourselves on the kingdom. So Christ picks up with that idea in verse 19. In verse 19, Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So This teaching seems to go hand in hand with this idea of fasting, doesn't it? Because when we fast, we're denying ourselves some of the good things of this life because we recognize what truly matters and we want to focus on that. That's what we're doing when we're fasting. We recognize that the pleasures that we could experience from the things that we deny ourselves, those pleasures pale in comparison to the the eternal benefit of focusing on our King and becoming more like Him. When our entire lives are about the kingdom, then we'll recognize the futility of, of accumulating things here on this earth. We'll recognize the futility of, of storing up more and more stuff and goods and, and toys and, and whatever whatever you're seeking here on this earth. It's going to pass away. So, so the kingdom citizen must recognize that. must recognize that his time is best spent storing up treasures in heaven, things that will not pass away, seeking the The kingdom. In his life and in the world around him. In verses, in verses 22 and 23, Christ says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So, going, going to be honest for a minute. I, I struggled to understand what this, exactly what Christ was teaching here in this passage. He's talking about you know the eye is the lamp of the body, darkness, light. I, I, it took me a while and a decent bit of reading and listening to other people trying to try and figure out, understand what Christ is teaching here, how this fits with, with this idea of focusing on the kingdom above things of the world. <clears throat> but what what helped me to understand it. Uh, was was someone pointing out that Christ's use of the eye here, where he says the eye is the lamp of the body, he's using the eye as a metaphor for one's perspective. He's using the eye as a metaphor for one's perspective or one's worldview. And this this the same metaphor is that the eye as one's perspective is used elsewhere in Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, uh, there God says to the children of Israel. He says in Deuteronomy 13, and verse 6, If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal it. So, can can an eye pity someone? Can an eye, eye in this case, not pity someone? No, we do that in our minds. We we pity someone. That is is something that we feel towards someone or we don't feel towards someone. But here it says, your your eye, nor shall your eye pity him. God is saying to Moses, you you are not to, to view this person with pity. You, your perspective toward this person should not be one with pity if they are trying to entice you to go worship other gods. So we see this idea of the eye used as, or this metaphor as, of the eye used as one's perspective. So Christ is saying here in verse 22, so he's warning against letting our perspective become darkened, letting our worldview become darkened. We, need, we, we must take care that, that our eye is clear so that our whole body might be full of light, um, and and in the context of Matthew six, remember we said there's a thread running through the, this whole chapter. What so in, in, in that context, what is he referring to? What what in this context could darken the worldview of the kingdom system? What could darken one's perspective and cloud our perspective? I, th- I would say that based based on the context, based on what he's already talking about and what we're going to continue talking about. It's the cares and concerns of this world. It's anything in this earth, in this world, that shifts our focus from the kingdom, that can darken our perspective and leave us wandering about in darkness, not in light like we should as kingdom citizens. <clears throat> so when I let my worldview be shaped by the things in this world, it's going to be darkened. When I let my worldview be shaped by money, then I'm going to be in darkness. When all, when all that I can think about, and, and all that I'm, when the, the decisions in my life revolve around how much money I can have, how much money I can make, how much money I can save, I'm not thinking like a kingdom citizen. I'm, store, I'm, I'm thinking about storing up things for myself that are going to pass away. And my, my perspective has become darkened. When I let my worldview be shaped by my hobbies or by my interests, it's the same thing, I'm going to be left in darkness. When I let my worldview be shaped by my job, or by my career, then I'm going to end up in darkness. When I let my worldview be shaped even by something like my family, or or your children if you have them, then I'm going to be in darkness. When I let my worldview be be shaped by things like politics, then I'm going to be left in darkness. When that's the perspective that I look at everything through, political lens, I'm going to be left in darkness. I'm not thinking like a kingdom, kingdom citizen should think, when I let my worldview be shaped by anything in this world, any idea, any physical thing, any person, any relationship, when I let my worldview be shaped by any of these things, anything except for the righteousness of the kingdom, then I'm going to be full of darkness. I'm going to be stumbling around without a clue of what reality truly is. Because the only way that I can understand reality, the only way that I can truly understand what's going on in this world around me, what's going on in the spiritual realm that I can't even see, the only way that I'm going to understand that is if I allow my eye, my perspective, to be shaped by the, the one and only being who spoke reality into existence. That's the only way, that's the only hope I have of understanding reality is if my worldview is shaped by the one who created reality. If I'm seeking his kingdom, his kingdom only that is how my, my perspective will, will remain unclouded that, that, that is how I will remain in the light we get to verse 24 Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 it's, it's a, it's a it contains a very simple idea but a very profound idea. Christ says no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Some of your versions may say man. You cannot serve God and man. And, and that, verb, that, that that sentence at the end of that verse, six words, you cannot serve God and man. It's, I mean, that doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room. Doesn't. Christ simply states this this is reality. This is the fact. You, you cannot serve both. You cannot serve God and and be just a little bit covetous. I, I can't be, be devoted to God, but then also be a little bit covetous, a little bit seeking after some of these things over here. I, I can't do you simply cannot do. It. You cannot serve God and man. The from from what I was reading, the language. That's used here That of uh, a ser- someone who, who's trying to serve two masters um, The language that's used here Is that, that of, of a slave who's trying to serve two, two different lords and, and each of those lords wants and demands total control over that slave But he's trying to serve both of them And they're both asking for all of them how, how is that going to work out? How is that situation going to work out? Well, he's not going to be able to serve either master effectively. And his own life is going to be miserable in the meantime, because he's torn between the two. There is no option here. It's one or the other. You either serve God completely with your entire life, every fiber of your being, or you serve man. You can't have both. You cannot have both. There's no room for discussion. So If this is the case, if I cannot serve God and Mammon, God and wealth, God and riches, God and fill in the blank, any anything on this earth that I might serve instead of God, if I can't have both of those things, well, fasting makes a whole lot more sense now, doesn't it? If if it's this important, if it's if it's this crucial, if it's this binary, this one, this much one or the other, then. Fasting sounds like a pretty good idea, because if I'm going to fast, then that's going to make sure that I am intentionally setting limits so that I don't go after mammon. So that I don't fall, so so that I make sure that I'm not getting lost and seeking the things of this world, but instead I'm I'm refocusing myself on God. You cannot serve God and mammon. God and wealth. God and riches. Finally, let's read verses twenty five through the end of the chapter. This to me this is the the climax of this point, of this part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're about to read. Verses twenty-five through thirty-four, Matthew chapter six. Christ says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. That they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, So Christ begins this, this last section by saying, For this reason, I say to you, the rest of us. What's the reason that he's, that he's referring to here? Well, in the verse prior, he's just presented the, the he's just presented his listeners with the choice: God or man. And now he, he's in verse 25, he's moving forward with the assumption that his listeners are going to choose wisely. He's moving forward with the assumption that that you're you're choosing God over wealth. So because you are choosing God, I say to you, do not be worried about your life, what you'll eat, or or your body, what you'll put on for clothes. Because because you are choosing God as your master, don't worry about these things. And, and, And he says that, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? think about that for a second, because food and clothing are pretty important. Last time I checked. We, we can't have life without food. God, the Christ says, life is more than food. Our bodies will not, will, wouldn't last very long out in the elements if we didn't at least have clothes that we were going to wear. So how, how, how is there, there more to the body than clothing? Well, he's going to give us the answer here in, in several verses. He's going to say a couple things in between now and then. keep that question and keep, keep that question in your mind. What is it about life that is more than food? What is it about clothing or about the body that is more than clothing? Hold, hold on to that question and we'll get to it here in just a moment. So, so, so Christ, in that same verse, he gives the command to not, not be worried about these things, not to be worried about our lives, and what examples does he give to support that command? To support the idea that we should not be worried about our life, that we should not be worried about, about our, our, our food or our clothing. He says, Look at creation. He says, Consider the birds. The birds don't farm. <clears throat> the birds aren't, aren't out there with rakes planting seeds, little hoes as they're hoeing their little bird gardens. The birds don't do that. It is, it is comical what, what Jesus says here. The birds don't sow, the birds don't reap, the birds don't gather into barns. But they survive, right? How do the birds survive? Their Heavenly Father feeds them. God gives the birds what they need to survive. The the role of the birds in creation is to exist to glorify God. We can look at the birds and we can see our magnificent Creator who spoke those things into existence and we can glorify Him for that. that. That is what the birds do in creation. They glorify God and God provides the food that they need in order to do that. He sustains them and they glorify him by living and doing what he created them to live and do. But that's not the only example. Christ then says, Look at the lilies. Look at the lilies of the field. They they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't have a spinning wheel where, the, where they make their clothes their their petals. Like it's it's silly again. But but he's saying they, they don't do that. So how how do they look as beautiful as they look? He says, Not even the great King Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these lilies, like one of these flowers of the field. So, how is it that, that the, the plants, the lilies, that they look so beautiful? Again, same answer as with the birds. God provides for them. God gives them what they need in order to grow, in order to bloom, in order to be the beautiful plants they are. God gives them what they need. And again, their, their very existence glorifies God. so Christ, Christ asks the rhetorical question. He says, if God provides what's needed, if He gives to the beasts and to the plants what they need to survive, to exist, to glorify Him, then do we really think that He's not going to provide for us? We're the crown jewel of His creation. We talked in Bible class. We were made in the image of God. We are made to have a relationship with God. If God provides for the beasts of the field, for the plants of the field, do we, not, do we really think he's not going to provide for us what we need? So again, he says in verse 31, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because God knows that you need these things. God knows what we need. And, and now we're going to answer the question we asked just a couple minutes ago. What is there to life that is more than food? What is there to the body that is more than clothing? Look at verse 33. Christ says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All of what things? What things will be added to you? It's the things we've been talking about for the past eight, nine verses. Food and clothing. Those things will be added to you if you seek the kingdom. That's what life is about. Life is about seeking the kingdom first and the kingdom only. Because the the, the point that is implicit in what Christ is saying here is that the kingdom is greater. The kingdom is more important even than what we eat or what we wear on our bodies. The kingdom is more important than those two things. We, again, the crown jewel of God's creation, we were created for far more than to simply exist. We were created for far more than to simply exist and have our needs met. We were created for more than that. We were created in God's image have a relationship with him, and to seek his righteousness. We were created to seek his right order in our lives, to seek his right order in this beautiful creation that he's blessed us with. That is why we were created. <clears throat> that is what life is about. That is our purpose. And so, what was the purpose of the birds and the flowers? Their purpose is to exist because their very existence glorifies God. They do what he created them to do, and he's glorified because of so if, if that's their purpose, our purpose is to seek his right order, to, to consciously make the choice to seek him, to seek his righteousness, then is he not going to give us what we need to fulfill that purpose? If we have in some ways such a higher purpose than that of the birds and the plants, won't he provide for us so that we can fulfill that purpose? <clears throat> He's going to provide what we need to survive, so that we can have a relationship with him and so that we can work with him in his kingdom. And it's, it's, it's very important, though, to, to understand the extreme language that Christ is using when he says this. Don't, don't make the mistake of, in your mind, watering down this message, making it to where it's more ap- ap- appetizable to you, um, making it to where you may not have to change very much in your lives. Don't lose the extreme language of this message. Because again, what does Christ say not to worry about? He says not to worry about your daily food, and don't worry about the clothes that you're going to put on your body. That that That's all that he's concerned with in this passage. Nothing else. The food you eat today, not the food you eat tomorrow, the food you eat today, and the clothes that you put on your body. He says don't worry about those things. These are the absolute bare necessities, bare essentials, and no, he doesn't even mention shelter here. You know, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's talking about food, and he's talking about clothing. And it's, <clears throat> so if you're seeking God, though, if you're seeking God, if you're seeking his kingdom, there is no reason to worry about these things. Because he's going to provide them for you so that you can focus on the kingdom. God will provide you what you need to exist so that you can glorify him in your existence by seeking his kingdom. So don't worry about the things that that are are vital to your existence, because if you're seeking God, they will be taken care of. He, He will give you what you need for that day so that you can glorify Him. It's very reminiscent of what happened with Israel in the wilderness when God provided them manna. And He told them, He told the Israelites, you're going to wake up and there's literally going to be food on the ground for you. So go gather what you need for that day. Don't gather what you need for tomorrow, but gather what you need for that day, and you trust me. You trust that I'm going to give you food again tomorrow. It's the same same message for us today. You trust that God is going to give you what you need to exist today so that you can glorify Him, and you don't worry about the rest of it. One one point by by way of a caveat is that Jesus is not teaching here that we're That if we're seeking God, then we can can quit our jobs, we can sit back, and we can just wait for food to miraculously appear on the table. He's not not teaching that. What he is teaching is that if you are actively seeking God, and if you are actively seeking his kingdom in your life, then God is going to provide for you what you need to survive. And that provision, God's provision, may very well come in the form of a job. And the ability to work that job that that, that and that job will give you money to buy food and clothing for today so that that very well may be the provision that god makes for you it may not be but it, it, it very well could be that that's the provision god makes for you that he gives you a job he blesses you with a job he blesses you with the ability to work that job so that you can eat food <coughs> but if that's the case Never fall into the trap of thinking that you are the one who made it possible. Then then you're forgetting the message here in Matthew chapter 6. Never fall into the trap of thinking that you are the one who made it possible to get the job, to get the money, to get the food, to get the clothing. Never lose track of the fact that God is the one who blesses you with the ability to do that. Because if I start to think like I'm the one who's making all this happen, I'm the one that's holding all this together, then I've taken something that God does and I've given myself that responsibility. We did that back in the garden, and that didn't work out too well for us and for humanity. If I take, if I think that I'm the one who's responsible for making all this work, when I start to think, and when I start to think that way, when I put that responsibility on myself—the responsibility of providing food for today—then I'm introducing a whole lot of worry into my life. Because guess what? I'm not the all-powerful Creator God. I'm not. The all-knowing God of this universe—I I, I am fallible. I can mess up. I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what to do in every situation. I don't even—I don't know what's best for me. So if I start to think like I'm the one who's responsible for, the, for for getting food for today, for getting clothing, then I'm going to introduce a whole lot of worry into my life that that should not be there. Because God is the one who's in control. And I'm going to seek Him and His kingdom, and I'm going to trust that He's going to provide for me along the way. Trust that God will provide your food for today. Trust that God will provide the clothing that you need to wear for today, and then go out and glorify Him in your life. Seek His kingdom. Seek seek His righteousness. He'll give you what you need in order to do. Now, does that mean the fact that God's going to give me what I need to seek his kingdom? Does that mean that I'm going to always have everything that I want? That I'm always going to be you know, comfortable physically in this world? That I'm going to eat the food that I want to eat? That I wear the clothes, the brands of clothes that I want to wear? I, I don't read that in this passage. I, I don't see that that's part of the promise that Christ makes promise that he makes is that you will need what you will have what you need to glorify God. And if God blesses you over like more more and above that, like if he gives you more than what you need to survive for that day then, then wonderful. Praise him for him thank him for that and then use those additional blessings to glorify him. It's not about our own comfort it's about furthering the work of the kingdom. And, and notice that it also does not guarantee us anything for tomorrow. It says, sufficient for the day are its own troubles. It doesn't guarantee me anything for tomorrow. But I know that while I exist today, God's going to give, give me what I need so that I can glorify Him. And, and, and finally, just, it, just so we can verbalize this and to make sure we're, we're all on the same page here. If I'm not supposed to worry about food and water and clothing... What does that imply about all the other things that we worry about? It implies that we shouldn't be worrying about them. If God is going to give me what I need to literally survive today so that I can seek his kingdom, well then, that's what I need to be concerning myself with, is seeking the kingdom, not chasing after these other things that are are, are uh, additional, are on top of, of the, the, the necessities of life. Um that's again just just to, to verbalize that so so that we all recognize that if God gives us the necessities then then that and we're not we're not even supposed to worry about those and that implies that we're certainly not supposed to be worrying about things beyond the necessities those should things beyond the necessities should not be taking up any of our concerns or our emotions or anything like that I was, as I was reading this, this chapter, as I, was, as I was prepping for the lesson this morning, I thought about, um, you know, how would Jesus respond if, you know, after, after the Sermon on the Mount, if we walked up to him and were like, you know, Christ, that, was a, that was a great sermon. That was a really good sermon. And, and, have, you, have you seen what the stock market is doing lately? <laughs> have, have you seen, like, how, how bad it is? You know, and I'm, and I'm concerned about that. How do you think Jesus would look at us if we, if we verbalize that concern to him? When, when he's telling you, don't worry about the food and water you need for today. How, how, do, you, how do you think he, he would respond if we were explaining to him how concerned we were about you know, our retirement fund for, for 40 years down the road or whatever? Do you think that he would have much time to discuss that with us? Do you think he would really care about that? Do you think he would want us to be caring about that? How do you think that he would respond if, you know, we told him, if we explained to him how every four years we're going to get really worked up we're going to get really emotional we're going to get really upset and worried about what person or what party is going to hold some level of power in this earthly nation and how that might affect the stock market, how that might affect the the financial institutions of this earthly nation that we live in? Do you think that Jesus would would have much time for that conversation? Do you think that that fits with with what he is preaching here in Matthew chapter 6? that we are not to worry about what we eat today and what we wear today. I don't see see that in Matthew chapter 6. I don't see any room for worrying about things like that in Matthew chapter 6. Sufficient for the day are its own troubles. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust that God is going to provide you what you need so that you can glorify Him in your life, and then go glorify Him in your life. That's the message of Matthew chapter 6. We we don't concern ourselves with the things of this world. We don't store up for ourselves treasures on earth, where those treasures are just going to eventually get destroyed. And even if they don't get destroyed in my lifetime, I'm going to die. psalmist says, and then who who who's going to get my stuff after that? What we don't store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We intentionally deny, or sorry, <coughs> we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We don't store up for ourselves treasures on earth. We deny ourselves even some good things in this world so that we can keep our focus on the kingdom. We let God be the one who likes our perspective. We, don't, we, we shouldn't let our perspective become clouded by, by the things in this world. We certainly don't try to serve God and wealth. And then if, if, we're, if we're living that kind of life, then we, we are not going to be anxious even for the things that we need to survive. Because we're going to trust that God is going to give us what we need, and and it, and when the day comes that 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 I pass from this life, the war doesn't come first. That doesn't mean that God failed me that day. That means that 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 was that was the end of my life here. That I my my earthly physical journey was completed. And if I had glorified Him throughout that journey, if I'm glorifying Him on the day that I die. If, if I'm seeking his kingdom, and if I'm seeking his righteousness, he's going to take me home with him. And one day he's going to raise that body back up from the earth, and, and, and I'm going to live with him forever. <clears throat> if, if you if you want that, which I would hope that we all would, if, if you want that hope of salvation, that hope of resurrection, that hope of, of an, an eternal body that will never break down, that will never get hurt, will never be destroyed, then you need to be in a right relationship with God. You need to seek Him like we were created to do. You need to to seek His righteousness in your life. And and if you've sinned like we all have, then the only way to to have a life that is righteous, a life that is rightly ordered, is to let God cleanse you from those sins. We see in scriptures that that the, the way that we that God cleanses us from our sins is he, he does that when we are baptized into the blood of His Son to enter into a covenant with Him. Because the people who are in a covenant with God are who are going to be the ones that He saves on the last day. There, the, the people who are in a covenant with God are the ones who cannot worry about what they eat or what they drink or what they wear because they're they're seeking after the God who saved them. So, if, if, if that sounds good to you today, if if you need that kind of hope, if you need that kind of assurance, if you need to rid yourself of, of worry and concern in your life, we pray that you would do that. If you, if, if you are a Christian and you're struggling with worry, take that to God. Take that to your brothers and sisters. We're here to help each other. We're here to help each other grow closer to God and glorify Him as, as we live on this earth. If you're not a Christian yet, we, we, we beg you to be baptized. We beg you to enter that covenant with God to give up the guilt of sin, to give up the worry of this world. And we're happy to help you do that today. We have a baptistry here, and we'd be happy to to baptize you into a a new relationship with your God. Don't leave today without without telling us about about what you need. Um, And and if if you'd like to, you can come forward now as we're standing and as we sing this this invitation song has been selected.